Good morning, y'all, and welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. Now, last episode, I had a little bit of an ad that launched a self-awareness course, and I've been retooling that course based on some feedback from some of you out there. I dropped the price, so now it's $70 to register for, throughout the pre-sale. The pre-sale is going to be up until March 1st, so I hope you jump on that. It's a super affordable price for what I'm offering, and I've also renamed the course the Build Better Relationships course because really... It has everything to do with the relationship we have with ourselves and how that affects our relationship with others and our relationship with our work and where we derive purpose and meaning. So if you're on this journey to improve yourself, improve your relationships, connect more deeply with people, fill your life with people that really value depth and resonance and want to be on this journey as well, or are already on this journey, then this course is for you. It's 70 bucks. We're going to have three live 90 minute zoom sessions throughout March, as well as one 60 minute question and answer session. If you can't make it there on zoom because of previous engagements, Everything's going to be recorded and sent out and emailed out. So for 70 bucks, you're going to get lifetime access to everything we talk about, uh, all the workshop materials, as well as the live recordings and the presentations. So I really hope you join us. This is so exciting for me to launch this first course. And you're probably wondering what separates this course from all these other courses on the internet. Well, specifically me as the presenter. So the way I view things and view ourselves in relationships and where we come from and why we do what we do is quite unique. And my ability to communicate that with you all out there is why you listen and tune to this podcast. So I really hope you become part of this community I'm trying to build. Join the course, join us in March, and I can't wait, honestly, to put this on. There's so much good information in the curriculum that I'm building. You're going to walk away with a ton of tangible benefits to ultimately improve your life and improve your outlook on your relationship with yourself, with others, and with your work. I hope you join me. I'm going to throw a link in the description, or you can go to www.nicobarraza.com backslash courses. You'll find the Build Better Relationships course there for more information. So this week, my good friend, Danae Logan is back on the show. Danae is a therapist based out of Los Angeles, California, and I had the wonderful opportunity to attend her and Vanessa Bennett's retreat in Carefree, Arizona a couple months ago, which was absolutely beautiful. I met so many incredible people through that retreat. Uh, Danae and I jump into the polarity between masculine and feminine energetics. And if these terms don't sit with you and you're like, what is this shit? Um, stay. I, I encourage you to stay and listen to this conversation. Uh, Danae is such an incredibly intelligent and thoughtful human being. Um, she is someone I, I greatly admire and respect and being able to converse with her over why we do what we do in relationships and where it comes from and how to own our 100% is something that she she says a lot of, um, I think is very valuable to anyone out there, whether you're single, in a relationship, uh, going through a separation or divorce. This is really valuable information to listen to the entire entirety of this show. And I, I, again, I'm just so grateful that Danae came back on the show, shared an hour with me to dive deeper into the subjects between masculine and feminine energy dynamics. And as a caveat, I just want um, to sort of let everyone know, if you're not familiar with masculine and feminine polarities, this has very little to do with gender and much more to do with societal and cultural norms and how um, you know masculine and feminine energetics plays a role in how we raise our children in a patriarchal society that, that has effects on both men and women uh, throughout all stages of life. And we have to talk about it in order to change it 
and there's a lot of healthy parts of it and a lot of unhealthy parts of it. And Danae and I dive deep into all those in this conversation. And of course, I could talk to her for hours and hours. We get an hour shared here on the show. And uh, I hope you all leave with something out of it. And as always, please leave the show a five-star written review on Apple, a five-star review on Spotify. It really helps the show grow. It means a lot to me. And if you're interested in the Build Better Relationships course I'm offering, please check that out too. The link is in the show notes. You can also go to my social media pages on TikTok and Instagram at that Barraza boy to inquire more. Uh, and if you're not familiar with me on social media, please follow along. If you love the content, stay a while. If you don't, I understand it's not for everybody, but I hope you do stay because I believe we have a lot to learn from everyone. And without further ado, my friend, Danae Logan. Danae, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Um, as if anyone listens you know, to more than a couple episodes, they obviously know I'm a huge fan of your work and uh, I've become a very close friend with you over you know, the past couple months, getting to know you and obviously attended your in-person retreat as well as Vanessa's mm-hmm. retreat in um, Carefree, Arizona, which I had a great time. I met so many cool people. So I just want to give a shout out to both of you. Thanks for all the work you did for yeah. that. It was such a cool experience. Um, and I'm happy to have you back on. And we're going to jump into masculinity, femininity, the polarity of the dynamics <laughs> and where we've been traditionally uh, in the West and where um, we're kind of steering now and, and maybe some of the, the good things of what we're doing and maybe some of the not so good things that we can shine some more light on to, to hopefully help everyone, you know, just see things as clearly as possible uh, because ultimately we're, we're trying to improve in every way. Right. So. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's such an honor always to um, be in your presence, Nico. And, you know, that retreat you were just talking about, I feel like you brought such um, just like magical energy to the group. And it was so wonderful to have your perspective. Um, You and there was one other man who was a part of a retreat with 30 women. And, you know, I just feel like we were so grateful to have your presence there. Um, As always, you know, you just bring such introspective, thoughtful perspectives to whatever conversation we're having. So really grateful for you always. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was you know, it, I had a couple um, of the women reach out to me on social media after the retreat and they kind of reiterated that. They were like, mm-hmm. hey, I just want to say thank you so much for being able to hold space in that environment because uh, many of yeah. them, I don't think they've been around a man before that like is there to hold space and, and vice versa, you know, um, which which is a great compliment to get, honestly, because that's obviously something mm-hmm. I'm trying to get better at and, and improve in, in all aspects of my life. Um but specifically, you know, coming from interpersonal relationships where, you know, I held space great sometimes and sometimes I didn't and just trying to improve. And mm. we only improve by putting ourselves in the situations where we can learn, you know, and that was yeah. that was a learning situation, which is beautiful that people, uh, you know, left with positive experience, which it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I feel like I'm always someone who says that we heal in relationships. And I think like my friendship with you feels like such a powerful example to me of that can be in so many different forms. I think we were talking the other day and I was talking about how much I have found some of the men in my life that I have cultivated friendships with to um, be some of the like most healing experiences that I've had. And certainly our friendship has been that for me. Because I think there is something about like without agenda, 
people coming together, just like really um, seeing one another with curiosity and acceptance of like your, your full humanity. That is just, um, I don't know, such a potent catalyst for healing, you know? And I feel like I've been so, um, I feel like the universe sends you people. I, you know, that's that's a Danae quote right there. (laughs) Yeah. I I gotta agree with you. I got, I have to agree with you. One of the things that I think really drew me to you, Danae, is that um, you are a person uh, that readily admits like where you've been, you know, as far as like the the things you used to do in the past, that your past patterns and you've spent time obviously as a therapist, but also as just as an individual investing into looking at the shadow parts of the feminine and the masculine within yourself, which, which is something I respect greatly because that's something that I'm the journey I'm on as well too, right? And so uh, I can I feel like I can talk about anything with you and uh, you're mm. not gonna show up to the fence with a pitchfork. You're, you're showing up there with an open mind and, an op- and open ears, right? Which is what I try to do myself because as we've talked about, there's a lot more nuance to things in society and culture, in race, in love than we'd like to think. And we only can find that nuance if we spend time looking for it, looking for the places that we might not be aware of, right? Looking for the uh, all these different drivers that sort of put force on us to to behave in a certain mm. way, to see the world in a certain lens, right? Um, and, and there's not like a good or bad scenario to this. They're just, it is what it is, but also it's not gonna change until we start to change ourselves, which is sort of the- yeah the ethos to how we evolve society, right? It has to start internally. Mm. And that's that's a great segue into, you know, traditionally when we live in a patriarchal society, right? We, we have all these drivers um, in the West of, you know, men should behave this way, women should behave this way, you raise your children this way, right? Um, little mm. girls are spoken to this way, little boys are spoken to this way. Uh, and then like um, discipline, you know, certain, certain disciplinary factors are different too. And we've talked about this a lot, one of the interesting things, though, is that you know now in in sort of modern culture with with modern feminism, um, it seems like the pendulum is swinging. It's kind of overcorrecting in a way, right? And mm. so, in some, you know, you you brought up the the men in in the group in the tat lab that kind of came forth and they were sharing how it felt uh, incredible for a group of women to hold space for them you know, and for them to talk about the struggles as as men and the pressures as men that they've had, you know, um, throughout their lives. And I'd love to open with, in your mind, because you're able to explain this so eloquently, you know, do you think it is possible for us to not correct um, sort of the discrepancies of patriarchy with an overcorrection, meaning like the pendulum has to swing all the way to the other side? Can we remain conscious enough to be able to see the nuance from different perspectives and find a healthier way forward as humans. So that way we're not sort of bastardizing the masculine, you know, but we also are not scared to look at the shadow parts of both the masculine and the feminine as we grow as human beings. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. Me um, too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think to me, and it's interesting that you brought up some of my own reckoning that I've had to do around my own relationship um, with the masculine, both externally and internally. And I think that we can only meet others to the extent that we've met ourselves, mm. right? So if I'm really defending against the shadow elements of myself, it is going to be I would say like near impossible for me to meet 
the shadow elements of others, the shadow elements of society with an attempt to understand versus um, hold with othering and contempt, right? Um, and I think we are a society that is really, really great at identifying the problem, right? Like we are well aware of all that patriarchy has done in terms of the way that it has been functioning for thousands of years to, um, to cause a lot of deep pain and oppression of both men and women. And I'm saying that so unbelievably intentionally because everyone is harmed by the patriarchal system that we have been living in, right? Um, we are amazing at identifying the problem and calling it out and um, pointing out like, you know, where there is harm. We are not always so great at being curious about moving from problem to solution, right? And so this is where I do think like my mind as a therapist is helpful in the ways that I have sort of like conditioned myself to look at things is I really seek to understand. Like I try to meet things with a sense of curiosity versus like a labeling and a judgment because the minute I'm labeling something, I stop being curious about it. Right. Um, and I think if we look at all of the issues we've had as a society in terms of these, um, excuse me, these masculine and feminine dynamics and how they show up in all of us, because all of us have both masculine and feminine energy within us. Um, if we meet these things with curiosity, then we're actually able to move from rupture to repair. We're able to say, this is how things have been functioning, but why? Like, can we be curious about the why underneath versus pointing the finger at, you know, this is the group that's a problem. Can we be curious about like, where did this start? Mm. How did this develop? Yeah. Um, how does it feel to be in the skin of whoever the person is I feel oppressed by, right? M most definitely. Um, it just piqued this memory because we were talking about, you know, even therapists or uh, influencers on the internet that are in the relational mental health space. And a, mm. a lot of times, um, you know, this is something that, that sort of, I guess, would trigger me a bit is when uh, people are consistently throwing up media or posts or content that other otherizes people right it's like there's an enemy always instead of mm. calling people in so that way we can grow and change collectively um, i think one of the most hurtful parts of sort of the content that i see produced in that when it's when it's honestly just quite unaware is when we're consistently looking for an enemy now that doesn't mean we don't have boundaries we don't we don't hold, have certain standards but i think that especially in the US and a lot of other more modernized countries, we are addicted to the idea of we have to have something to blame. We have to have an mm -hmm. enemy, whether it's a political enemy, a societal enemy, an economic or racial enemy, a relational enemy, you know, because we, we really need something to focus on to be hypercritical of, right? And my problem isn't with being critical alone, but it's, it's, being critical with pointlessness, meaning that there, there's no mm. end goal besides just winning, besides just saying that you've won, that you're the winner, right? That you're the better. And I have a problem with that because fundament, fundamentally, if you have a growth mindset, that's that's flawed already, right? Because it does nothing for you and it does nothing for anyone else, yes. right? And so I've had to catch myself in many times within the past couple of years when I am otherizing folks or where I'm like, well, they mm. voted for this person, so already they're this, right? Or they believe in this, so already they're this, as opposed to like, if this person's open to discussing and engaging with me, let's talk about it, you know? And I also have to be aware of, before I step in the conversation, I need to let go of my addiction to being right. Because if yes. I'm too addicted to being <laughs> right, I am not going to be able to listen 
because I'm just focusing on being right versus understanding, which is really hard for an adult human being to grab onto because we're so stuck to the idea of like, if you're right, you have a reward. If you're wrong, you're punished, Mm -hmm. right? Versus how do we understand each other better and improve our relationships? And I found that the majority of the time I've improved relationally has been on the back of my willingness to enter a situation with an open mind and be conscious and hold myself to that open mind and not let myself close in dogma or in judgment. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think it requires a tremendous amount of ego strength to stay humble and to stay open to what I don't know. And, you know, if we talk about masculine and feminine dynamics, I was just listening to Marianne Williamson in one of her talks this morning, and she was talking about the wounded masculine in all of us, but certainly the the men in you know, our culture, the way that we condition men is to believe that if you don't have all the answers, or if you don't know that there's weakness in that, I think we give little girls a lot more um, space to sort of like, be in the exploration. And, you know, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but you know, like, we don't give little boys that leeway, right. And so it's like, you're somehow if you if you didn't get it right, the first time, I'm going to shame you, I'm going to judge you, I'm going to call you a bad person. And you know, our psyche will defend aggressively against that type of shame, rightfully so. Like, of course, right? Like, that feels terrible. But I think, to me, a game changer in my life has been just continuously giving myself so much compassion for what I don't know. I feel like I am constantly humbled. I like the last year of my life, probably I've been humbled in the most beautiful ways that I would have never thought possible. And I'm so grateful, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I am humbled with what I don't know, that means I'm expanding. That means I'm like becoming better. I'm becoming more of who I am meant to be, you know? Amen to that. I, I think that one of the the things we do uh, as human beings is that um, in our efforts to quote unquote become better, and I put in quotation marks because I think that there's mm. there's a focus on becoming better from a place of groundedness and and self love, and a focus on becoming better from a place of avoidance and fear. And when we're, when mm. we're focused on becoming better out of fear of if things remain the same, um, that we'll be you know in a world that we that's not favorable to us we can sometimes overcorrect and become the very thing that we seek to change, which is ironic because if you look at the history of human humanity and society, it happens quite often with wars and with fighting, right? It happens with politics, yeah. happens with economics. And I think those are macrocosms for when we look at interpersonal relationships and our relationships with ourselves, that same sort of phenomenon peaking up, like self-loathing, like self-hatred, um, bubbling up inside. So I need someone to take it out on so I don't have to feel it myself. And so therefore, I will choose this person or this group of people is the enemy. So I have something to focus on rather than myself, right? And I, I would love for you to sort of speak on, you know, from the feminine perspective. And again, we're talking about energetics, folks. This is not gendered, right? Um what are some of the things you see specifically within women that peak up based on um, patriarchy, traditional patriarchy, and also based on this um, internal urge to to change the system in, in such a forceful way, right? Like what are some of the things that women will say or do that, that might mirror, you know, what, what men have been told to do for, you know, centuries now? Yeah, I mean... God, that's like, 
It's such an interesting question and it's, it's so layered that it feels challenging to know like where to begin with that conversation. Because I do feel like there's so many elements of the way that I, and most women, I would argue in our society, um, by mothers who are really attempting to embrace feminism really conditioned us to wear a wounded masculine armor, right? Um, And to defend at all costs against anything that is sort of soft or receiving or connected or um, like, you know, trusting. And so like all of these elements that are like the most beautiful aspects of the feminine within all of us, a lot of us as women were really conditioned to hold those elements of ourselves with contempt. Like I remember, um, I mean, just on so many levels, like the messaging wasn't just like implied, it was like explicit, like don't ever trust or depend on a man because if you do, they will let you down. Right. Like there was just ways that, um, that, that is the story of a lot of women that I sit with, you know, like the messaging of like careful trusting, um, men. Right. And so, what I have found is that no matter what, we will create polarity in our relationships, right? So even if it's wounded polarity, there's just a like a like a human instinctual urge to create polarity. And so if we as women have been conditioned um, to really um, embody a wounded masculine armor, what we do is, the men in our lives, if, and obviously I'm speaking heteronormatively in this case, but the men in our lives, we sort of, um, in order to create polarity, it's not even so much that like, it's not even so much like that they do this is like, this is the dynamic that's created between us is like a wounded masculine and a wounded feminine. And so we're like, we're as women, holding the men in our lives with so much contempt about the ways that they are not standing in healthy masculine energy with us because there's no space for them to, because we are so in our wounded masculine. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I hope people understand it. Cause I feel like (laughs) Like, it can get get complex, you know, when, when you start to associate masculine energy with men only, you know, because, um, and this is why I always bring up wounded feminine because there, there are obviously aspects of that. We just don't talk about them a lot in a patriarchal society because we are hyper-focused on the wounded masculine, which deservedly so there's a lot of wounded masculine traits floating around, but also wounded feminine traits. Right. And in my perspective, I've always sort of been um, a proponent of, of looking at both equally because we like, I, I have wounded feminine traits. I have wounded masculine traits. You know, one of, of the things that I have struggled with in my adult life is accepting help from others when I really need it. You know, what do mm. I, what, do, what have I traditionally done when, when I'm going through a tough time or something is like shut down and sort of like, boom, push people away, you know, because I need, it's on my, it's on me. I, I need to take responsibility. I need to have accountability for my own life. And although I do believe that, um, I think part of my learning has been like, no, there are people that I can trust that love me in my life. And if I need help, I need to ask for it or else they would have no clue. And I also need to like step back a little bit and provide some space for them to step forward and help me. And I think when people find themselves with reoccurring issues with this is when they have been let down, right? Is when they have mm. stepped back and then that person that they were really depending on, you know, leaves or doesn't show up. And I think that is part of the work is recognizing that if that has happened to you, no matter how many times, there's not a guarantee that's going to be the same thing over and over again. And if you based your present on your past, 
you're always going to be living in the past, which is basically shackling yourself to experience anything different. Yeah. And I would argue the example that you just gave to me feels like um, an example of wounded masculine energy, right? Like Certainly. the wounded masculine. And, and I love that you bring up that example because I find that that is often how it shows up for us as women, right? If we are conditioned, like I don't trust anyone because they're just going to inevitably let me down, then I have to do everything myself, which is so much of what I feel like I sit with, with so many women is this, um, this energy of sort of martyrdom, right? Like I'm constantly, angry about the fact that, you know, the, the people in my life don't show up for me. Um, I have to do everything myself. I'm carrying so much more of the emotional weight than my partner. But if that person attempts to help me, I just, I don't trust that you will show up for me, or I don't trust that it will get done in the way that I want it to be done. So I'll just do it all. I'll just handle it. Right. Most definitely. When, when we find ourselves single, not relationship, because obviously when you're in a relationship, these things are more prevalent. You know, if you're, if you're sort of looking for them, you can see them, but when you're single, it, it seems to be harder to tell, you know, when you're in your wounded masculine mm. or wounded feminine. So when you're working with clients one-on-one, mm. like what are some of the things you look for when the person is single and, and doesn't have like that anecdotal evidence of like, well, my partner said this, you know what I mean? You have that to base it off of like, what are some of the key indicators you look for to be like, Hey, like you are behaving out of wounded masculine or wounded feminine with these behaviors. Oh, I love that. I love the question in the context of our single life. And nobody's ever asked me that. Nico. I love when someone asks me something that I've never been asked or um, thought about, which is really important because what I find is, okay, so like wounded masculine energy, if let, let's use it from like the standpoint of a woman, just because I'm a woman and let's, let's pretend I'm out here and I'm dating and I'm, I'm playing with these energetics, right? So my wounded masculine energy would be the part of me that wants to control, that wants to like get in here, that like has a game plan. I'm going to go in with this person and this is what it's going to look like. And it's very sort of like um, controlling, manipulative, like a lot of like not really like in curiosity about that person and their experience and who are they are in the world. It's like, I need to get a partner. I'm going to make this happen. This is what it's going to look like. That shows up a lot, right? Like that's a lot of like the wounded masculine energy. Like if I'm a woman dating now, if I'm in my wounded feminine energy, um, and say I'm dating someone that I really like and they're, you know, um, maybe they're in wounded masculine. So they're a little bit like hot and cold. They're a little bit like all about themselves. They're like, you know, really like giving me mixed signals. Then my wounded feminine is going to like all of my codependent energy is going to like come and like want to cling and want to grasp and like prove that I'm enough and like feel really insecure. And like all of that, like energy is like how the wounded feminine shows up when we're dating. Right. Mm. Um, if I'm in healthy masculine energy as a woman out here dating, um, I'm going to be really like grounded in my sense of self. I'm going to be my own fierce protector. I'm going to be in the space of constantly reminding myself of why I am enough. Um, and then my healthy feminine is going to just be like really present, really curious, really like all about the connection with this person, going with the flow, not needing to know or manipulate or, you know, control the dynamics. I'm just like in the flow of what feels true. Like if we're meant to be together, it'll be clear to me. I don't have to know. I don't have to control. You know what I mean? 100%. I think one of the things that comes up a lot, specifically with my clients, 
is like the sort of push and pull dynamic in the dating phase, right? It's like, well, if they don't text me X amount of times, they must not be interested in me. Or, you know, mm. and, and I can certainly understand that because some people just ghost people or they just, they're not responsive. And, and obviously we put energy into someone we value. But I do think there is, there, again, there's more nuance in this, whereas like people are busy. If they, they have jobs, they have lives, sometimes they have children, right? And I think that part of developing both healthier masculine and feminine traits is being open to understanding the spaces inside ourselves that we're too mm. quick to judge some, something because we don't have all information right certainly there are scenarios in the dating phase where people are pulling away you know they're pulling back and they're not displaying interest but i think a lot of times we tell ourselves stories in our heads that like oh this person might not be into me because they're not texting me right away when when sometimes they're just really busy and obviously you can communicate that right be like hey i can't talk right now i'm busy but i think that a lot of times and, and i'd love for you to speak on you know how we can work on ourselves to be healthier in both masculine and feminine polarities so that way we, we our sort of internal wellness and our internal be, being isn't dependent on like what someone else is doing all the time right because it yeah. is certainly nice to be pursued and be desired of course um but i think that when we put so much weight on oh my god this person has to text me every day i want them to you know communicate all the time with me we forget that like we both have individual lives to work on and in my mind that's like that codependency sort of peeking out where it's like oh shit, I'm falling for this person super hard. So all I'm going to focus mm -hmm. on is them. And and, yes. and and I lose focus on myself and my life and my friends and what I'm into. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, you know, <laughs> my thoughts on this, I feel like we are just such an unbelievably codependent culture. It's like such a part of our deep programming and in my opinion, so much of the relational content and the ways that we still speak to and feel like we should be approaching relationships is unbelievably codependent yeah. to me. Um, I actually don't think the point of relationships is for me to, you know, find someone to complete me or for me to have. And I don't say, you know, I, I don't say that even though it sounds like I'm, I'm being a little tongue in cheek. Like I, I, I mean that I think yeah. that like our work is to really tap into our innate sense of wholeness. And it doesn't mean like I need to be a fully whole, complete healed human being um, before I get into relationship. What that means is when the person isn't texting me back, my work is not to like, to your point, keep the focus on that person. My work is to go inward and get really curious about what this is activating within me. Because I would argue that comes from some of our more wounded spaces, right? The places that I felt maybe rejected when I was little, or, you know, my attachments weren't secure. Um, in childhood or, you know, in my family of origin or whatever that looked like. And how can I sort of say like, where am I making this person, this situation, um, like some sort of higher power when that's actually to me, not what any relationship should be. I think, um, and this is like my new premise as I work with couples, like what I think the point of relationships are, I think, you know, the way we are moving as a collective is towards more interdependent relationships, which means I came here in this life with a mission mm -hmm. to carry out. You came here in this life with a mission to carry out. Now we come together when we are able to support the expansion of one another's missions. Um, and I am able to like love you well in the space of that support, but it is not your job to be a part of like the completion of my mission. Like that's, 
I actually don't think one that is sustainable and two, I don't think that's the point. You know, I think we just have it so backward in terms of what we think another person should be responsible for doing for it, for doing for us. And I think what I find working with couples is you can do that for a while, but after a while, like no matter what things start to shift, we start to get a little tired of one another. The dopamine surges have sort of cooled out. And I am sort of in the space of feeling resentment towards you for not being this omnipresent force in my life anymore. And now I need some more dopamine surges and you're not giving them to me. And I've made you my entire world. And how dare you? (laughs) You know, and was that fair to put on you to begin with? I would say maybe not. Yeah, I think we develop a sense of entitlement, you know, again, with this Mm -hmm. hyper-individualized culture. And that entitlement sometimes leads to codependency. It it peaks like our our abandonment wounds, trauma, triggers from childhood, right, which you brought up. One of the things we've talked about before is when couples come to you, a lot of, let's say it's like the 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 wife or the female partner in this heterosexual relationship sort of um is the one that like wants to go to couples counseling right so their their partner agrees to go and they'll show up and and really what they're <laughs> thinking is going to happen is that they're going to tell the story and you're going to sit there and be like totally agree with you and look at the guy and be like what are you going to do about it whereas a lot of times what i hear from you is that you'll listen to the uh, female and then when the man has a, a chance to talk um there'll be this like a little bit of hesitation you know they, they still don't feel comfortable to fully say what they want to say and and you're skilled mm-hmm. enough to see that and then when you're able to draw it out of them well then you know the, the sort of lens is the mirror is almost turned back to the, the the female who has and again this is not genderized but but i feel like this this is a common dynamic in couples therapy where you know, she might not be seeing the areas that she's contributing to in the relationship to, uh, again, you always talk about owning your hundred percent to sort of build the current dysfunctional dynamic that is oppressing both of them, you know, that is triggering yes. both of them. And a lot of times people go to couples therapy, um, just wanting to validate their experience and show their partner, like, I got, see, I got this ticket from a therapist and it says <laughs> you're wrong. What are you going to do about it? You know, versus like, Hey, we're both here to learn, you know? regardless of what's happened, you know, we're both here to get better because that's, that means you're on the same team. You want the relationship to continue. You don't just want to be right. That's it. Right. Like, I mean, what is the goal here? I often say to couples in the beginning, um, you know, one, this is like, the the client is the, the relationship, right. And like what we want is like a healthy functioning relational dynamic. And sometimes that means like, relational dynamic needs to end. Um, And so I think it's like, to me, when we go into couples therapy, and you nailed it, quite often, it's like, I'm going to get this other person to get you to see what I need you to see that you're not seeing, or you're not hearing me. And what I always say is, if each person, both people are not able to bring the focus inward and own their 100% of why this dynamic is sort of unfolding the way it is, it's just like, it's a wrap. Like there's nothing that's going to be effective in terms of pattern interruption. Right. So it's, it's always our work. And that's why I'm so much about the interdependence, because I feel like a lot of times what we will say in terms of like, you know, we need another person to co-regulate or we need another person to um, like honor our boundaries. And what I would say to that is, okay, yes, but if they don't, 
what are you going to do with that? Right? Like if this person is not hearing me, not changing, not showing up in the way that I want them to, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to stay in the space of resentment for the rest of your life? You can, that's your choice. But I feel like that's a very disempowering choice. And I, you know, I feel like I was listening to Alan Watts talk a couple of weeks ago where he was saying like, we as humans love to identify where we're being victimized. We very rarely like to take responsibility for the fact that we're making ourselves out to be a victim. And I think it's like, I don't love to be a victim. Like I, you know, and, I, and this is not me saying I've always been this way. This is like something I've had to cultivate in terms of a practice, but I want to, in every moment I possibly can, figure out where I can take my power back. Mm -hmm. And that does not mean like making another person wrong. It means me taking 100% responsibility for what I have control of, which is always myself. I can't change another person ever. I don't care who it is. It's always like me and me that mm -hmm. we get to control. That's it, you know? I, lo I love this because this, this gets us to the point of what is the what are some themes and the roadblocks you run into with people who are in a severe victimhood mentality and how do we relate that to polarity how do we relate that to feminine and masculine energy dynamics right because i'm willing to bet that those are playing a role that patriarchy is playing a role uh, somehow in uh, uh the when we victimize ourselves right yeah. I mean, I feel like, again, that's a really big question, but I like to start with the baseline of everybody gets to be who they are in this life. And I'm a victim of nothing, mm -hmm. period. And I can't tell you how much people like literally physically bristle when um, they hear me say that, but I just, I don't believe in that. I think like, if we look at like patriarchy, it's so easy for us to say, and you know, this group of men are the problem. And it's like, okay, well, where did that start? Right. If you are being victimized by a group of men in terms of patriar patriarchal structures, where did that start? Where did they learn that? How did that happen? Right. Um, somebody taught them how to be in this society, which is why they, even if they're meeting you with a great deal of misogyny, right? Like there were certain dynamics that they were taught. And again, it's like, how do we move from problem to solution? I think it's just so easy to identify whatever the problem is. And that doesn't really do a lot to change anything. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the awareness is one step of there being a problem, but then like you've been speaking about, what are you going to do about it? Right. And, uh, rarely, if not never is change truly achieved by screaming, pointing mm. a finger or blaming, you know, it's usually when people shut down and kind of hold, like hold their ground even tighter. Right. Um, versus sort of approaching something with curiosity, even yourself too. Right. Because even, even times I've, I've considered myself to be right when i'm explaining something um i still try to investigate like okay how can i see mm -hmm. it from another person's perspective you know and that doesn't mean my my opinion is always going to change but at least i'm open to it changing you know d depending on uh, the information i have and and we can we can only sort of act and behave um based on what we know right and so part of that is looking for the things that we don't know or we, we might be unaware of and I think that has to do with interdependence. And I think um, my, my follow-up question to that is, what is the like antonym or the opposite of interdependence? And would you mind- Codependence. <laughs> there we go. So w w would you mind explaining 
Um, you know, a lot of people hear codependence a ton on the internet now, you know, um, so many people refer to themselves as I'm a recovering codependent, you know, um, mm. and, and, and I'm curious and like, can you give us maybe some principles of, of codependency versus interdependence? Yeah. I mean, to me, codependency is, uh, it's just such a, like, there's so many things that I would classify as codependent ways of being in the world. But to me, more than anything else, it is, I need someone else to do, be anything in, in order for me to be okay. Right. So codependency is I'm okay. If we're okay, I'm okay. If you're okay. It's like, I am self-regulating my internal world through my relationship with you. Um, the challenge in that is that other people are not within our control. And quite often what I find happens in our relational dynamics is in our attempt to self-regulate through controlling another human being, we realize that we're not able to do that. And we just create like these walls of resentment, right? Like we just are like living in this consistent space of resentment about our quote needs not getting met. And I would argue, you know, and this is, this to me becomes like the radical way of holding relationships in a different way that interdependence is, is that you are responsible for meeting your own needs, right? And that doesn't mean that you don't have needs, but you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Ayanla Van Zant, and she says, um, you know, I don't get to tell you how to love me. I just get to decide whether or not I want to participate in the way that you love. And so it's like, it's not about not communicating how things make you feel to your partner. It's just about when anything is demanded of another person, the human ego will inevitably resist. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be put in boxes. We don't want to be controlled by another person. Mm -hmm. And it might not show up in this minute. I might comply for right now, but that, that resistance will show up later or it will manifest in other ways. Right. And yep. so I think our work more becomes, how do I look at what is being activated in me when I feel like this person is not meeting my needs and how can I sort of start to fill my own cup? How can I say like, is this a, a need or is this a desire that I have in relationships? And, you know, I would start with like, if there's a desire I have, um, from my partner, can I start to give my partner some of those things that I'm desiring from them, right? Like we're really great at identifying what my partner is not doing for me, but how am I showing up? Not like looking for you to do this in, you know, reciprocity, but like wholeheartedly, how can I show up and give, right? Yeah. Um, because it just starts to feel different when I'm like, or, or like really celebrating when my partner does meet some sort of desire that I have. Right. So if my partner does something and it feels amazing, like just like really affirming how much that made me feel loved and seen by you. But I think so much of what we spend our time doing once we get into relationships is identifying where this person is not meeting my needs. And you know, when you fall in love with someone, you fall in love with the way that they experience you. Right. So it's like, let's say we just like fell in love. You're like, Whoa, Danae just like sees all of these amazing qualities in me that I've like forgotten about myself. This is dope. Right. Like I am pretty like, you know, it's all of this like surge of like, I see myself again and I see possibility and hope. Right. But what happens over time is we start to like feel entitled, like you said, to this person, like there's ownership. And that is a big part of the codependency, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you're my boyfriend or my partner, 
I own you and I get to like demand that you show up in a certain way. And you know what? I don't feel seen anymore by you. I feel like I am put in a box. I am not seen. I am just like, you know, constrained by your limited view of who I am, which is a person who is not meeting your needs, you know? Yeah. It's almost as if if ownership sort of um, is a curiosity killer. You know, because mm, when you own yeah. something, you you tend to feel like you fully know it. You know every part about it. So therefore, there's no more curiosity. And if there's no more curiosity, you're not really interested in the other person's perspective anymore because you know it already because you own it, you know, and that's a really interesting yeah. like thing to think about. My my follow up question would be if we are practicing healthy interdependence, what does it look like to also allow space to rely on someone else? Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I think that's hard, right? It's hard for it's hard for me to conceptualize. Okay, if I'm truly interdependent, then where is the healthy boundary for also allowing myself to be dependent on another in a healthy way? If I'm well, asking that correctly, I guess. I guess my question would be, what does that mean to depend on another person? Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, I think we are always here, like by choice, <laughs> no matter what, right? Like, I think, um, I think to me, like ideally, and this is not me not believing in partnership and marriage. I just think that sometimes it is that like ownership chip that I can't tell you the number of couples or even the individuals I see that just feel like I don't even need to like listen to what that person's going to say because I know what they're going to say before they open their mouth, right? right? to me in an ideal world of interdependence, I don't own you. Yeah. In fact, I need to be courting you forever, ever. Like I need to be attempting to, like, I believe the point of relationships is I love this person so much. I want to use them as the catalyst in my life to show up in, in full alignment with who I want to be every day. Mm. Right. And if I know that I can depend on the fact that you're not going anywhere, am I going to do that? Now it doesn't mean that we're not like supporting one another. It doesn't mean um, that we're not really like present with showing up for this other person, but it's challenging for me. Right. Because like, when I think about like what that actually means, like, yes, we want to create a sense of safety, but I think the bigger to me, spiritual truth is that like my primary relationship forever, ever should be with the source energy within me, which means like that is where I um, ground myself in stability and what I can depend on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most definitely. This brings up the, the sort of different ideas of under-functioning, over-functioning. And you and I have spoken a lot about Mm -hmm. this over the phone um, because you've considered yourself to be like hyper under-functioner in in some of your past relationships. I did not say that. Didn't you? I said I'm a recovering under-functioner. Oh, I, I meant in the past. A yeah. lot of work. I meant in the past, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. Um, yeah, so like, okay, recovering hyper-under-functioner. And, and I would say like for myself, I'm the opposite. I, I've been like severely mm. over-functioning in most of my relationships. And if we could start to talk about um, how you sort of close that gap, right? Because from from a over-functioner's perspective, you know, uh, if someone didn't do something, yeah okay, I just, I'll fucking take care of it. I'll just do it. I'll keep doing it. Right. And I got into the pattern of like, mm. um, not, not, uh, presenting any more space for the person to step into that space to, to meet the functionality, right. Or to meet, you know, yeah. to meet me. Um, my, the, 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 sort of the build on that is what do you do in a scenario where 
you provide that space and someone is not stepping into it? Is it a mere decision of like, hey, this person's for me or they're not for me because you have to make a hard decision there because they, they might not change? Does that question make sense? You know, because I'm, I'm like, if you if you're allowed, like if you're an overfunction or underfunction and you're aware of that and then you create space or you step into this space to sort of function more, but the other person stays in their dynamic, what do you do? I mean, to me, I feel like you nailed it, right? I think personal responsibility means that as long as I need you to be anything other than what you are and need you to be anything other than who and what you are, you hold power over me, mm. right? I am not really interested in that. And it's it's my perspective, right? Like I, as someone who, you know, was in a relational dynamic with an overfunctioner for many, many years, I underfunctioned because he functioned for me. The minute that relationship ended, I started functioning for myself. It's fascinating how that works, right? It's like you either like say like this person has like, I believe in this person's capacity to do these things or I don't. Yeah. But I think so much of where we give our power away in relationships is I need someone else to be something other than they are in order for me to have peace. I don't need you to be anything for me to have peace. Like that's, that's just not something I'm interested in in doing anymore. I think it, I think it doesn't work anyway. I think we like <laughs> beat our heads yeah. against the wall of our lifetime. And I think normally what ends up happening is if I stop attempting to make someone something, then it comes from an authentic desire within them, you know? Um, and I mean, we could like get into examples, but that's, right. that's how I, I find it shows up. Okay. That makes sense. Do you, do you think that, uh, over-functioning versus under-functioning those two behavior patterns, do they align with a certain polarity in masculine and feminine dynamic? Like is a over-functioner hmm. usually more steeped in unhealthy masculine versus under-functioner more steeped in unhealthy feminine? Like th does that, do those things align at all? Yeah. You're asking me such great questions today, Nico. Um, that's that's an interesting one, right? Because I don't know that I think that's necessarily true. And okay. the other thing about these energetics that I think are really important for us to name is none of them are static. Most of us will sort of um, shift back and forth between the two dynamics based on what is coming up, right? Like there are some ways that, you know, in my previous relationship, um, let's like say taxes, for instance, right? I hate doing taxes. And it's a place where like, I would feel flooded. And I would be like, Oh, it's tax season, I'm feeling stressed out. And he would start um, like really stepping into like task, masculine energy of I've got this, I, I, I will handle it, right. And I would be sort of in this like, wounded feminine energy of like, yes, I need you, right. Um, where there were a ton of places in that relational dynamic that I was like, sort of the more wounded masculine, like I, I can handle this and I don't need you. And, you know, like, just like really like, you know, not, not healthy masculine energy, not like taking care of myself in like a grounded way, but like a fear-based way. Right. So it, it sort of depends on situational and like where we are and like maybe like there are certain roles that we saw in our family dynamics and this is when I might show up in like my more wounded feminine energy based on what I saw like so I always think that's important to name okay. that like I think most of us can be a more core like I think about myself now that I'm a more core feminine health in my healthiest state energetic and I also have like masculine 
qualities and I need to be integrated in my masculine qualities, but none of these energetics are like, this is who I am, yeah. right? Like there will be times when I'm going to be, even if I'm a more core feminine, I'm going to show up in wounded masculine or feminine energy based on like whatever's coming up, right? Like I might go home to my mother and I'll be like deep in wounded feminine all of a sudden, right? Right. Cause it changes depending on who we're around too. Right. But I think part of that interdependence that you're talking about is becoming, um, a full self in a way that you can be the same around no matter who you're around, right? You're, you're rooted in a sense of groundedness, which I have to appreciate because, you know, a lot mm. of times people will come into a one-on-one -on -one session with me and they'll talk about an issue in their relationship or an issue in their breakup and they'll align themselves with, um, I, I am, I, I'm very uh, anxious attachment, you know, they, they kind of paint themselves. I'm anxious attachment or I'm very avoidant, you know, very avoidant. I've noticed those things. And although I, I commend the awareness that they've built up to be able to say that about themselves, I also, like offer them the idea that we are neither one thing our entire lives because I have been secure. I have been anxious and I have been avoidant. I have been all three, depending on who I'm around. But <laughs> that, that being said, uh, if I have a strong sense of self, it really doesn't matter whom, who I am around because I'm in control of my avoidant tendencies or my anxious tendencies and my secure tendencies. And that's not to say that like, yeah. I'll just put up with any behavior because that's, not really what we're talking about, but I have a, a strong sense of self to know um, when someone else's behavior is uh, not right versus I'm being triggered and it's my anxiety or my avoidant tendency that's really causing sort of, or, or sort of contributing to the dysfunction of the dynamic. Right. Um, and I think yeah. that you have to build a lot of self-awareness is an interdependent person to be able to hold that tension of the opposites. You know, you talk about a lot, right. It's like being able to sort of understand the nuance in experience. And I, I guess my, my question from that would be for people that are on like, let's say this healing journey or on um, this, this this path to really understand their self deeply. Mm -hmm. And they're so attached with attachment theory, which is kind of ironic, right? Mm -hmm. They're really attached with <laughs> labeling themselves being I'm hyper avoidant or hyper anxious. Where do you start with them to get them to open a bit more so that they can, they can see the nuance in attachment theory itself? Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you and I come from a depth psychology background, so I'm not super interested in labels across the board. I think yeah. it can be useful to understand these attachment styles and energetics, but to your point, those are fluid as well, right? Like when I, um, and I do think though that our attachment styles can be connected. So like when I'm in a more wounded masculine energy, I do think that's avoided attachment energy. And when I'm in a more, um, anxious attachment style, that's like wounded feminine energy, right? Um, all that being said, just like you just said, it really is dependent on the person that I'm in relationship with. I think I was very much um, a really sort of avoidant energy for most of my life and most of my relationships until I, um, you know, had an experience with a relationship with someone who was also deeply avoidant. And all of a sudden, all of this like anxious attachment energy came to the surface, right? Um, so I think it's it's important to know that like none of these things are static. And I think we can understand ourselves without like labeling ourselves. I think, the you know, just like anybody else, the minute I label myself, I'm not really curious about continuing to be present mm. with what's coming up for me right now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it's... 
it will change. It will shift what's coming up for me right now. And to your point, I think the work becomes, you know, our sense of self is about like, to me, I have the ego strength to know I will have things come to the surface. I will be activated, but that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. Those are moments of activation. And when I'm activated, how do I bring the focus back inward and get curious about like, Ooh, I wonder what this is bringing up for me and why, or what feels historic about this, right? Like, What does this remind me of that's been a pain point in my past? So true. The what what that just brought to my mind is almost the the harder we grip on something on a narrative or a story or a behavior, the harder it is to actually alter. Meaning that like mm. if we associate ourselves with being avoidant or anxious so much, or um, you know, if if I if I focus on, you know, this this negative thing I've done in a relationship or all these positive things, it's almost really hard for me to see other perspectives and therefore change the behavior, you know, um, because I yes. think people fall into categories. They either ruminate on unhealthy behaviors and they punish themselves over and over again, or they avoid and try to put that out of their awareness and just focus on all the positive, And then they mm. end up staying the same no matter what. But both of those situations have the same end goal or sorry, have the same end result, not goal, but the end, the end result is that you don't change. You just stay the same. Yeah. And therefore the situations and relationships you find yourself in, probably won't change either right because if you don't change i find it hard to believe that you're going to have a different uh, result from a situation right you're probably going to attract the same people the same kind of dynamic because you haven't taken the time to really invest in looking at your 100 percent as you as you talk about right so often yeah would you say that that's true in in your experience like as far as you know the, those two categories of, of a person either like adamantly avoiding any accountability versus like um, consistently sort of shaming and punishing themselves for for things that they've done wrong. And in in those two separate dynamics, um, mm. where's the middle ground? Where's the balance? Like wh- where where is the like personal growth balance where we can like look at the thing, the behaviors we've done that were unhealthy, but also look at the things that we, we did that were healthy and find a middle ground to grow but also be able to accept because that's such a hard thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you just described in that statement, wounded masculine and feminine energy, right? Like the wounded masculine, like defends against being wrong at all costs. Um, The wounded feminine is just like deep in shame and I am bad and I am not enough energy, right? And I think the integration of our healthy masculine and feminine energy is like, when I think about healthy masculine energy, it it is humility. It is like the ability to constantly be in that space of, learning and um, growing and like, you know, seeking mentorship and like more awareness of self, right? And healthy feminine energy is like knowing the bigger truths of like, no, I'm like divine. There is like nothing about me that is imperfect. And the purpose of me coming into this life was to learn, to continue to expand and grow. So all of it is exactly as it needs to be, right? So to me, it's that thing of like moving into uh, the space of healthy integration. Incredible. Um, am I allowed to mention mm-hmm. what you're working on behind scenes right now? Or keep, <laughs> sure. keep, okay. I just sure. want to say Danae is currently working on a book that really um, mm. is going to go in depth to everything we just spoke about. Right. And I, and uh, yeah. I've obviously been a huge proponent of you 
putting the the words on paper because I'm excited to read it myself because I've enjoyed all the conversations mm. uh, around this, you know, with you. Um, but uh, obviously it's not done yet. It's going to be a long process, but just to sort of pique everyone's interest, that is something that is being created right now. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I implore all of you to, to follow her on social media and, and, you know, just check in and see when that book is out, because I know it's going mm. to be a great resource for people really looking to understand more, not only about feminine masculine polarities, but how to just be more interdependent and also um, be open to love too, because interdependence mm. does not mean you're close to accepting love, right? If anything, oh true interdependence means you're completely open for accepting love. And that's, you know, we're certainly where I'm trying to steer my ship. Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you, my sweet friend for that. And, you know, to me, interdependence is like the spiritual path of love. I think that we have all been conditioned to just like really believe in transactional love, love that is sort of like defended and walled off and um, looks for where we are being wronged. Like I believe that interdependence is a return to love for ourselves first, like this space of like really embodying this space of like my innate wholeness and my enoughness. And from that space, I am able to see you clearly versus seeing you through the lens of my wounds, which is so often how we're loving one another, you know, and I would say not loving one another, but calling it love. Right. And I, you know, thank you for mentioning that I'm, I'm writing this book because it feels like, Again, I think none of what we go through is ever wasted. You know, um, I went through a divorce a little over two years ago and I feel like so much of like, you know, I love working with couples. They're sort of like my sweet spot. And I think so much of like what I have unpacked about my own relationship and what I'm constantly, you know, viewing and seeing come to the surface for couples has all been to me divinely guided to write this thing that feels like a calling to me because, you know, so often people will be like, you know, like, where can we read about what you're talking about? And I'm like, well, the way that I see it, I don't really have something to offer you. So I'm going to write it because it feels really important to me because it's brought so much healing, um, not only for myself, but also for the couples that I work with to really just like hold ourselves with a different level of compassion, you know? Amen to that, my friend. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show again and sharing oh my gosh. a beautiful hour with me. Uh, I always mm -hmm. feel like I could obviously talk to you for hours and, you know, the questions are just keep piling on. But um, yeah, for anyone that's interested in finding out more, uh, you can check out Danae's social media. I'll throw links to those in the show notes and also her podcast that she hosts with her friend, Vanessa Bennett, Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I've been on that show. Awesome conversations. Um, uh, the, the video you just posted um, with the gentleman, Sasha is his name. Uh, is that who, how, what was his name? Maybe that wasn't his name. Maybe I'm absolutely butchering that. It was the guy who was talking about psilocybin and how he, he sort of, um, oh, yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. My brain. No, it's okay. That <laughs> yes, was his name right. though, right? Yeah. I, um, it was, yes, uh, it was an awesome, that, that little me. clip was so cool, you know, because he was, it's yeah, just, he's you guys, amazing. You guys have a lot of great guests is what I'm trying to say. And, um, mm -hmm. go check out their podcast as well too. So I don't get on a, on a ramble here, but thank you so much, uh, Danae <laughs> for, for sharing an hour with me again. It's uh, obviously lovely to see you. And, uh, I wish I could give you a big hug right now, but I'll, uh, an air hug will have to do such an honor thank you so much sweet friend
I really want to ask all of you listeners out there, if you could take a couple seconds, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star written review that really helps get the podcast in more eyes, in more ears, um, and just really helps podcasts grow in in every aspect possible. So um, I would really appreciate it if you could pause it, go leave us a five-star written review on Apple, subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts, and turn notifications on so you get notified whenever we launch a new episode.